Book One, Canto Two, of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Two. The guileful great enchanter parts the Red Cross Knight from truth, into whose stead fair falsehood steps and works him woeful ruth. By this the northern wagoner had set his sevenfold team behind the steadfast star that was in ocean waves yet never wet, but firm as fixed, and sendeth light from far to all that in the wide deep wandering are. And cheerful Chanticleer, with his note shrill, had warned once that Phoebus' fiery car in haste was climbing up the eastern hill, full envious that night so long his room did fill. When those accursed messengers of hell, that feigning dream, and that fair forged sprite, came to their wicked maester, and gan tell their bootless pains and ill-succeeding night, who all in rage to see his skilful might deluded so, gan threaten hellish pain and sad proserpent's wrath than to affright. But when he saw his threatening was but vain, he cast about and searched his baleful books again. Eftsoons he took that miscreated fair, and that false other sprite on whom he spread a seeming body of the subtle air, like a young squire, in love's and lusty head his wanton days that ever loosely led, without regard of arms and dreaded fight. Those two he took, and in a secret bed, covered with darkness and misdeeming night, them both together laid, to joy in vain delight." Forthwith he runs with feigned faithful haste unto his guest, who after troublous sights and dreams gan now to take more sound repast, whom suddenly he wakes with fearful frights as one aghast with fiends or damned sprites, and to him calls, Rise, rise, unhappy swain, that here wax old in sleep, whiles wicked whites have knit themselves in Venus' shameful chain. Come see where your false lady doth her honour stain. All in amaze he suddenly upstart with sword in hand, and with the old man went, who soon him brought into a secret part, where that false couple were full closely meant in wanton lust and lewd embracement, which when he saw he burnt with jealous fire. The eye of reason was with rage blent, and would have slain them in his furious ire, but hardly was restrained of that aged sire. Returning to his bed in torment great, and bitter anguish of his guilty sight, he could not rest, but did his stout heart eat and waste his inward gall with deep despite, irksome of life and too long lingering night. At last fair Hesperus in highest sky had spent his lamp and brought forth dawning light. Then up he rose and clad him hastily. The dwarf him brought his steed, so both away to fly. Now when the rosy-fingered morning fair, weary of aged Tython's saffron bed, had spread her purple robe through dewy air, and the high hills Titan discovered, the royal virgin shook off drowsy head, and rising forth out of her baser bower, looked for her knight, who far away was fled, and for her dwarf that went to wait each hour. Then gan she wail and weep to see that woeful stour and after him she rode with so much speed as her slow beast could make, but all in vain, for him so far had borne his light-foot steed, pricked with wrath and fiery fierce disdain, that him to follow was but fruitless pain. Yet she her weary limbs would never rest, but every hill and dale each wood and plain did search, sore grieved in her gentle breast, he so ungently left her whom she loved best.
But subtle Archimago, when his guests he saw divided into double parts, and Una wandering in woods and forests, then of his drift, he praised his devilish arts that had such might over true-meaning hearts. Yet rests not so, but other means doth make how he may work unto her further smarts. For her he hated as the hissing snake, and in her many troubles did most pleasure take. He then devised himself how to disguise, for by his magic science he could take as many forms and shapes in seeming wise as ever Proteus to himself could make, sometime a fowl, sometime a fish in lake, now like a fox, now like a dragon fell, that of himself he oft for fear would quake, and oft would fly away. Oh, who can tell the hidden power of herbs, and might of magic spell? But now seemed best the person to put on of that good knight his late beguiled guest. In mighty arms he was a-clad in on, and silver shield. Upon his coward breast a bloody cross, and on his craven crest a bunch of hairs discoloured diversely. Full jolly knight he seemed, and well addressed, and, when he sate upon his courser free, St. George himself he would have deemed him to be. But he, the knight whose semblant he did bear, the true St. George, was wandered far away, still flying from his thoughts and jealous fear. Will was his guide, and grief led him astray. At last him chanced to meet upon the way a faithless Saracen, all armed to point, in whose great shield was writ with letters gay, Sans Foy. Full large of limb and every joint he was, and carried not for God or man a point. He had a fair companion of his way, a goodly lady clad in scarlet red, purfled with gold and pearl of rich assay, and like a Persian mitre on her head she wore, with crowns and ouches garnished, the which her lavish lovers to her gave. Her wanton palfrey all was overspread with tinsel trappings, woven like a wave, whose bridle rung with golden bells and bosses brave. With fair disport and courting dalliance, she entertained her lover all the way, but when she saw the knight his spear advance, she soon left off her mirth and wanton play, and bade her knight address him to the fray. His foe was nigh at hand. He pricked with pride and hoped to win his lady's heart that day, forth spurred fast, down his courser's side the red blood trickling stained the way as he did ride. The knight of the red cross, when him he spied spurring so hot with rage despiteous, gan fairly couch his spear and towards ride. Soon meet they both, both fell and furious, that daunted with their forces hideous, their steeds do stagger and amazed stand, and eke themselves too rudely rigorous, astonied with the stroke of their own hand, do back rebut, and each to other yieldeth land. As when two rams, stirred with ambitious pride, fight for the rule of the rich fleeced flock, their horned front so fierce on either side do meet, that with the terror of the shot astonished, both stand senseless as a block forgetful of the hanging victory. So stood these twain, unmoved as a rock, both staring fierce, and holding idly the broken relics of their former cruelty. The Saracen, sore daunted with the buff, snatcheth his sword, and fiercely to him flies, who well it wards, and quiteth cuff with cuff. Each other's equal puissance envies, and through their iron sides, with cruel spies, does seek to pierce. Repining courage yields no foot to foe, 
the flashing fire flies as from a forge out of their burning shields, and streams of purple blood new dyes the verdant fields. Curse on that cross, quoth then the Saracen, that keeps thy body from the bitter fit. Dead long ago I what thou hadst been, had not that charm from thee forewarned it. But yet I warn thee now, assured sit, and hide thy head. Therewith upon his crest, with rigour so outrageous he smit, that a large share he viewed out of the rest, and glancing down his shield, from blame him fairly blessed. Who thereat wondrous wroth, the sleeping spark of native virtue, Ganeft soons revive, and at his haughty helmet making mark, so hugely stroke, that it the steel did rive, and cleft his head. He, tumbling down alive, with bloody mouth, his mother earth did kiss, greeting his grave. His grudging ghost did strive with the frail flesh. At last it flitted is, whither the souls do fly of men that live amiss. The lady, when she saw her champion fall, like the old ruins of a broken tower, stayed not to wail his woeful funeral, but from him fled away with all her power, who after her as hastily gan scour, bidding the dwarf with him to bring away the Saracen's shield, sign of the conqueror. Her soon he overtook, and bade to stay, for present cause was none of dread her to dismay. She, turning back with rueful countenance, cried, Mercy, mercy, sir, vouchsafe to show on silly dame, subject to hard mischance and to your mighty will. Her humblest low, in so rich weeds and seeming glorious show, did much enmove his stout heroic heart, and said, Dear dame, your sudden overthrow much rueth me, but now put fear apart, and tell both who ye be, and who that took your part. Melting in tears, then gan she thus lament, the wretched woman, whom unhappy hour hath now made thrall to your commandment, before that angry heaven's list to lower, and fortune false betrayed me to your power, was, oh, what now availeth that I was? Born the sole daughter of an emperor, he that the wide west under his rule has, and high hath set his throne where Tiberus doth pass. He, in the first flower of my freshest age, betrothed me unto the only heir of a most mighty king, most rich and sage. Was never prince so faithful and so fair, was never prince so meek and debonair. But ere my hoped day of spousal shone, my dearest lord fell from high honour's stare into the hands of his accursed phone, and cruelly was slain, that shall I ever moan. His blessed body, spoiled of lively breath, was afterward, I know not how, conveyed and from me hid, of whose most innocent death, when tidings came to me, unhappy maid, oh, how great sorrow my sad soul essayed. Then forth I went his woeful course to find, and many years throughout the world I strayed, a virgin widow whose deep-wounded mind with love long time did languish as the stricken hind. At last it chanced this proud Saracen to meet me wandering, who perforce me led with him away, but yet could never win that fort that ladies hold in sovereign dread. There lies he now with foul dishonour dead, who, whiles he lived, was called Proud Sans Foy, the eldest of three brethren, all three bred of one bad sire, whose youngest is sans joy, and twixt them both was born the bloody bold sans loy. In this sad plight, friendless, unfortunate, 
now miserable i fidessa dwell craving of you in pity of my state to do none ill if please ye not do well he in great passion all this while did dwell more busying his quick eyes her face to view than his dull ears to hear what she did tell and said fair lady heart of flint would rue the undeserved woes and sorrows which ye shew henceforth in safe assurance may ye rest having both found a new friend you to aid and lost an old foe that did you molest better new friend than an old foe is said with change of cheer the seeming simple maid let fall her eyne as shamefast to the earth and yielding soft in that she not gainsaid so forth they rode he feigning seemly mirth and she coy looks so dainty they say maketh dearth long time they thus together travelled till weary of their way they came at last where grew two goodly trees that fair did spread their arms abroad with grey moss overcast and their green leaves trembling with every blast made a calm shadow far in compass round the fearful shepherd often there aghast under them never sat ne went there sound his merry oaten pipe but shunned the unlucky ground but this good knight soon as he them can spy for the cool shade him thither hastily got for golden phoebus now mounted high from fiery wheels of his fair chariot hurled his beam so scorching cruel hot that living creature mote it not abide and his new lady it endure it not there they alight in hope themselves to hide from the fierce heat and rest their weary limbs atide fair seemly pleasance each to other makes with goodly purposes there as they sit and in his falsed fancy he her takes to be the fairest white that lived yet which to express he bends his gentle wit and thinking of those branches green to frame a girland for her dainty forehead fit he plucked a bough out of whose rift there came small drops of gory blood that trickled down the same therewith a piteous yelling voice was heard crying o oh, spare with guilty hands to tear my tender sides in this rough rind embarred but fly ah fly far hence away for fear lest to you hap what happened to me here and to this wretched lady my dear love o oh, too dear love love bought with death too dear astonned he stood and up his hair did hove and with that sudden horror could no member move at last when as the dreadful passion was overpast and manhood well awake yet musing at the strange occasion and doubting much his sense he thus bespake what voice of damned ghost from limbo lake or guileful sprite wandering in empty air both which frail men do oftentimes mistake sends to my doubtful ears these speeches rare and rueful plaints me bidding guiltless blood to spare then groaning deep nor damned ghost quoth he nor guileful sprite to thee these words doth speak but once a man fra dubio now a tree wretched man wretched tree whose nature weak a cruel witch her cursed will to wreak hath thus transformed and placed in open plains where boreas doth blow full bitter bleak and scorching sun does dry my secret veins 
for though a tree I seem, yet cold and heat me pains. Say on, for Dubiel then, or man or tree, quoth then the knight, by whose mischievous arts art thou misshaped thus, as now I see? He oft finds medicine who his grief imparts, but double griefs afflict concealing hearts, as raging flames who striveth to suppress. The author, then, said he, of all my smarts is one duessa, a false sorceress that many errant knights hath brought to wretchedness. In prime of youthly years, when courage hot, the fire of love and joy of chivalry first kindled in my breast, it was my lot to love this gentle lady whom ye see now not a lady but a seeming tree, with whom, as once I rode accompanied, me chanced of a knight encountered be that had a like fair lady by his side, like a fair lady but did foul duessa hide, whose forged beauty he did take in hand all other dames to have exceeded far. I in defense of mine did likewise stand, mine that did then shine as the morning star, so both to battle fierce arranged are, in which his harder fortune was to fall under my spear. Such is the die of war. His lady, left as a prize martial, did yield her comely person to be at my call. So doubly loved of ladies, unlike fair, the one seeming such, the other such indeed, one day, in doubt, I cast for to compare whether in beauty's glory did exceed. A rosy girland was the victor's meed. Both seemed to win, and both seemed one to be. So hard the discord was to be agreed. Frylissa was as fair as fair mote be, and ever false Duessa seemed as fair as she. The wicked witch, now seeing all this while the doubtful balance equally to sway, what not by right she cast to win by guile, and by her hellish science raised straightway a foggy mist that overcast the day, and a dull blast that breathing on her face dimmed her former beauty's shining ray, and with foul ugly form did her disgrace. Then was she fair alone, when none was fair in place. Then cried she out, Fie, fie, deformed white, whose borrowed beauty now appeareth plain to have before bewitched all men's sight. Oh, leave her soon, or let her soon be slain. Her loathly visage viewing with disdain, eftsoons I thought her such as she me told, and would have killed her. But with feigned pain the false witch did my wrathful hand withhold. So left her, where she now is turned to tree and mold. Thenceforth I took Duessa for my dame, and in the witch, unweeting, joyed long time, nay ever wist but that she was the same, till on a day, that day is every prime, when witches want do penance for their crime, I chanced to see her in her proper hue, bathing herself in Oregon and time. A filthy, foul old woman I did view, that ever to have touched her I did deadly rue. Her nether parts, misshapen, monstrous, were hid in water that I could not see, but they did seem more foul and hideous than woman's shape man would believe to be. Thenceforth from her most beastly company I gan refrain, in mind to slip away, soon as appeared safe opportunity, for danger great, if not assured decay, I saw before mine eyes, if I were known to stray. The devilish hag, by changes of my cheer, perceived my thought, 
and drowned in sleepy night with wicked herbs and ointments did besmear my body all through charms and magic might that all my senses were bereaved quite then brought she me into this desert waste and by my wretched lover's side me pight where now enclosed in wooden walls full fast banished from living whites our weary days we waste but how long time said then the elfin knight are you in this misformed house to dwell we may not change quoth he this evil plight till we be bathed in a living well that is the term prescribed by the spell oh how said he mote i that well out find that may restore you to your wonted well time and sufficed fates to former kind shall us restore none else from hence may us unbind the false Jewessa, now fidessa hight heard how in vain Ferdubio did lament and knew well all was true but the good knight full of sad fear and ghastly dreariment when all this speech the living tree had spent the bleeding bough did thrust into the ground that from the blood he might be innocent and with fresh clay did close the wooden wound then turning to his lady dead with fear her found her seeming dead he found with feigned fear as all unweeting of that well she knew and pained himself with busy care to rear her out of careless swound her eyelids blue and dimmed sight with pale and deadly hue at last she up gan lift with trembling cheer her up he took too simple and too true and oft her kissed at length all passed fear he set her on her steed and forward forth did bear end of book one canto two recording by thomas copeland